Nobody said democracy is supposed to be easy. It's hard. Tell me about it. No kidding. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU in Hawaii, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. On, in Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also, back down here in California, on 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week, whether I am here or not. This is the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, yes, I am back from the grave. Well, from the hospital at least, uh, and some uh, some weird a weird combination. We don't know what it is: a uh, flu, exhaustion, dehydration. Uh, we really don't know. But it all resulted in about seven hours or so in the hospital over the weekends, and fluids pumped into me via IV. And all that goes with it, uh, including an ultrasound. Good news, I'm not pregnant. Um, <laughs> so you didn't die? No, I, not that I know of. Okay. Not well, that let I me know, know of. if all anything right. changes. I will. You know, if you get any new results back. I will. <laughs> let me just add this. Thanks, Obamacare. I'm just saying. Uh, also, a huge thanks, huge thanks to Angie Coiro. Uh, for covering for me over the last two days on the broadcast while I was uh, while I was struggling. We'll see how much I'm struggling today. Uh, also, thanks to that voice you just heard was Desi Doyen, our producer. Hello, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Hello. Uh, my thanks to you uh, for, uh, if if nothing else, your uh, Green News Report special coverage that we'll be uh, playing a little bit later uh, without me. Green News sans me. Not nearly as good. Well, I disagree. Okay. But um, so people can look forward to that, enjoying you and the Green News Report and not having to listen to me and my snarky comments. Until then, you've got me and my snarky comments, <clears throat> unless I pass out. But Des, you're standing by ready to fill in if anything should happen. Yes, yeah, so right? I'm all snarked up and ready Very to go. Very good. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Uh, all right. We got a lot to get to today because uh, when I went down over the weekend, was in the middle of uh, working on, you know, a lot of uh, stuff that was coming in, a lot of input coming in over the weekend, uh, looking at election results from around the country, concerns that people had about those results. 
Um, and so I'm playing a lot of catch up today. Uh, but before I do, let me uh, just note this, because it does play in here. The word post-truth has been named by Oxford Dictionary's 2016 International uh, Edition as the Word of the Year. According to the New York Times, it vanquishes a politically charged field that included, among others, alt-right. That phrase. The use of post-truth, they say, defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. That word, usage of that word increased by 2,000 percent over the last year, according to the analysis of the Oxford English Corpus which collects uh, some 150 million words of spoken and written English from various sources each month. Uh, the head of the U.S. Dictionaries at Oxford University Press said the word uh, post, post-truth surged most sharply in June after the Brexit vote and Donald, Donald J. Trump's securing the Republican nomination for president, making it an unusually global word. The term, uh, whose first known usage in this particular sense was in 1992 in an essay in The Nation magazine, Go The Nation, that cited the Iran-Contra scandal and the Persian Gulf War. Uh, That word uh, does not represent an entirely new concept, but it does, according to uh, the director of the uh, Oxford University Press, uh, reflect a, a step past, quote, truthiness, which was... Uh, the Stephen Colbert coinage that Merriam-Webster and the American Dialect Society each chose as its word of the year a decade ago. So we've gone from truthiness to post-truth. I'd call it post-fact where we are right now. Um, the distinction they make is that of discussing a quality of, of specific claims where post-truth is an adjective that is describing a much bigger thing. It's saying that the truth is being regarded as mostly irrelevant. Sounds about right. Uh, other contenders, like the term alt-right, uh, have come under a semantic attack from some on the left. In recent days, critics have stepped up arguments that it is an overly cute, perhaps even post-truth euphemism for the word, for the phrase, white supremacy. Ms. Martin said that Oxford's definition of uh, alt-truth, an ideological group associated with extreme conservative or reactionary viewpoints characterized by a rejection of mainstream politics and by the use of online media to disseminate deliberately controversial content. She said that was a particularly difficult definition to research and write. In general, she said, it is not used as a simple synonym for white supremacy, though some who embrace the term do openly acknowledge its usefulness in softening and selling extreme ideas. So, yes, the use of alt-right is in of itself a post-truth phrase. And, um, you know, one of the things I don't I don't want to play this now because I got a lot to cover here. But, you know, one of the things, uh, Des, you had collected was CEO uh, uh, of Google uh, talking about the problem that they're having online uh, where people search for stuff and fake news comes up. 
Yes, that there is a real problem, especially with uh, the CEO of Google mm-hmm. acknowledging that Google has a real problem and had a real problem during the election by promoting with its algorithms fake news, false news, outright hoax news. And uh, now they're trying to take some kind of move to 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 to, 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 to minimize that, that yeah. to fix that. Yeah, well, good you luck. Know, good because, timing. Because, yeah, yeah, gosh. No, yeah. You well, know, and Twitter and Facebook are doing the same thing. They're also going, oh, gosh, you know, yeah, maybe all those people who were complaining during the election that our algorithm was promoting fake news and alt-right and racism and all this, uh, you know, wrong stuff, that maybe we should do something about it. But they waited until now. And, that, and that's right. Uh, those social uh, media outlets are trying to do something. Uh, who knows what? Who knows if it will succeed? Uh, because, uh, and I should note, by the way, David Itzkoff uh, said that, uh, in fairness, the word post-truth won the popular vote while alt-right won the electoral college. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, but uh, misinformation, it's, it's not just a Google problem. It's not just a Facebook problem. It's not just a Twitter problem. Uh, you know, with with fake news. Uh, so is the problem with fake news from places like The New York Times. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. Uh, one of the articles they were covering in the uh, uh, post-election coverage. Uh, I'll just read from The Times here. Chance of lock her up became a frequent rallying cry at Trump campaign events. And Mr. Trump told Mrs. Clinton at the second presidential debate that if elected, he would instruct his attorney general, quote, to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation because there has never been so many lies, so much deception. If he were president, Trump told her, you'd be in jail. That threat unnerved both Republican and Democratic legal analysts. And now, the New York Times uh, writes, the decision he faces echoes one confronted by Mr. Obama and his first attorney general, Eric Holder, over whether to investigate the Bush administration, their officials for extreme interrogation tactics against terrorism suspects that the Obama administration later deemed to be torture. In other words... Donald Trump's decision whether to investigate and jail Hillary Clinton for a private email server (laughs) while she was secretary of state uh, uh, compares to Obama's decision or his concern when he came to office on whether to investigate Bush administration officials for committing torture and international war crimes. Same thing. Emails and torture. Who can tell the yeah. difference? What's the you know email and torture? It's the exact same thing. Equally bad. That's the way the New York Times conflated these two issues. Josh Marshall noted that uh, the fact that it, that this is even still being discussed, this uh, email server nonsense, is shocking in and of itself. He says, but but that's a Trump issue. The idea that the Trump that the the New York Times would equate these two matters in this way shows an almost mind-boggling failure of editorial and legal judgment. It does indeed. And that is who, or whom, I don't know the phrase, uh, we're going to have to rely on uh, as the, uh, the paper of record over the next four years of a President Donald Trump. Uh, it's just mind-blowing, or at least it would be mind-blowing if we haven't seen this sort of behavior from the New York Times and other mainstream outlets for so long now, for at least a decade, leading to what has happened over the past week. So never mind the false news on, on Google, and it is a problem. 
You know, it is a problem if you search for, you know, things that I have broken exclusively at bradblog.com and uh, a version of that comes up on some fake news site or some false version, uh, some nonsense, uh, you know, the the truth that I've reported about, uh, you know, fake voter fraud claims, claims that uh, the the group ACORN had committed voter fraud. If you look that up, you're not going to find the truth from bradblog.com necessarily on the front page of Google, but you'll find a whole bunch of BS about it. From uh, Breitbart and Wall Street Journal and fake news sites that you never even heard of. So, yeah, we got our work cut out for us. So speaking of work cut out for us, over the weekend I had mentioned when I got knocked out uh, and and ever since I've been uh, I've been receiving quite a bit of email. Uh, from a lot of folks, a lot of listeners, uh, a lot of tweets, a lot of Facebook inquiries, uh, like this one from a listener. Uh, subject, so has there been any auditing of election results yet? Just curious what you are finding out, the emailer asks. Uh, has there been any hand counting? We're able to, uh, to be sure that the count matches what the central hub tabulators reported. Anywhere? Has this happened anywhere? The emailer asked. All right. Well, good question. Good uh, <laughs> and a good reason to ask. After all, as we reported uh, just after the election last week, uh, even the RNC, who had done a huge amount of polling, uh, gathered a huge amount of data on their voters internally, and they let m- the media know about this. Yes, they colluded with the media because that's what political parties do, not just Democrats. Uh, they uh, colluded with the media. They gave them information on the Friday before the election showing that their data showed Donald Trump was not going to win, that he just didn't have enough to win in state after state. He could not win the Electoral College. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they had put Hillary Clinton's uh, Electoral College totals up around 300 and and Trump's down in the low 200s. So, um, yeah, there are good reasons to ask if the election results actually uh, have been verified by anybody, if if ballots have actually been counted uh, by human beings or if we're just relying on the computer reported results. Because there's still a lot of questions about what went wrong. Uh, And despite the reports in the days since the election that voter turnout, for example, was way down, that was the explanation. Uh, Hillary Clinton's voters, they just did not turn out. Well, turns out that's not true. According to 538, stories are still circulating a week after the election. The turnout fell sharply from 2012. That, uh, Carl Bialik writes, is almost certainly not true. The confusion is the result of news outlets trying to pin down voter turnout figures quickly in a system that does not count millions of votes until weeks after the election, including millions of provisional ballots, which are still being counted right now. Approximately 58.1 percent of eligible voters cast ballots in last week's presidential election, according to the latest estimates from uh, from Michael McDonald, who we've had on this show, associate professor at the University of Florida. He gathers data at the U.S. Elections Project. That 58.1 percent is down only slightly so far from 2012, when the turnout was 58.6. It is also well above 2000's rate of 54.2 percent. That's 4% higher than 2,000. 
Uh, turnout may end up being higher than any presidential election year between 1972 and 2000. If your social media feed is anything like mine, writes Bialik, uh, you're still seeing stories claiming that only 53 percent or 55 percent of eligible Americans voted, which would represent the lowest turnout in at least 20 years. But those figures were based either on initial vote tallies, which inevitably rise as more ballots are counted, or on McDonald's earlier estimates, which he is updating as more data becomes available. Bialik goes on to write, we won't have final turnout numbers for weeks or months because some states are still counting ballots. Millions remain uncounted. That means estimates based solely on votes counted so far will underestimate, will understate turnout, though already more presidential votes have been counted this year than in 2012, contrary to reports that fewer voters turned out this year. So we can rule that out. It wasn't low turnout. That did it. It wasn't low turnout that uh, led to Donald Trump winning. It it wasn't, uh, you know, expected by even the Republicans. So what was it? What happened? Now, I'll take exception with uh, Bialik here in 538 when he talks about uh, that some states are still counting ballots. They're not still counting ballots. They are tallying them by running them through where they exist, running them through computer scanners, computer scanners which either tally them correctly or incorrectly. We don't know. We don't know unless we bother to actually count them by hand, by human beings. So what did happen? Well, a lot of uh, a lot of folks, a lot of election integrity folks are still trying to figure that out. And I will try to uh, speak more about specifically the Trump Clinton results shortly today, gathering what I uh, have been able to gather since I uh, sprung back to life after my IVs or whatever they gave me over the weekend. Um, So I will talk a little bit uh, shortly about what we know and what we do not know so far. Yes, this takes time. It takes time to figure out because we've got to figure it out from analysis uh, and and sometimes guessing uh, instead of, you know, counting ballots. But uh, to get there, to get to the Trump and Clinton race, uh, first, I need to take what might seem like a bit of a circuitous route here. But North Carolina's Republican governor, Pat McCrory, he is one of the, frankly, worst and uh, most divisive uh, governors in the country. Now, you wouldn't think he was the worst if you were a Republican. They love him. He's the uh, former Duke Energy CEO. He signed North Carolina's anti-LGBTQ bathroom bill, uh, losing the state billions in, in convention and tourism money and even the NCAA basketball tournament money. He helped get Duke Energy off the hook for uh, leaking toxic coal ash uh, from their um, coal ash ponds. His response, he's been criticized for his response to the police shooting of Keith Lamont Scott and the subsequent protests in Charlotte just a few weeks ago. He signed the, uh, the worst voter suppression bill in the country following the Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act. It was referred to at the time as the mother of all voter suppression laws out there in North Carolina. And thankfully, its worst provisions were eventually struck down by a federal appeals court, which found those provisions signed by Pat McCrory uh, to have targeted, quote, targeted African-Americans with nearly surgical precision. McCrory is a terrible governor. He was also uh, uh, facing a tough reelection bid last week against Democratic Attorney General Roy Cooper up there in North Carolina. 
That race at this hour remains very close. Out of about two and a half million ballots cast, <clears throat> Cooper, the Democrat, leads in the currently reported results by just under 5,000 votes, or 0.11% last I checked. Tens of thousands of provisional ballots are still being tallied uh, throughout the week before Friday's uh, certification deadline. The uh, failure of a widely used paper ballot optical scan computer tabulation system has made the uh, counting of those votes uh, in this very close race, it has made everything even murkier. Uh, apparently, on election night, McCrory was reported as having the lead all night long uh, until 94,000 votes came in late from Durham County. Uh, there's a lot of uh, colleges out there. Duke University is there. And after those votes had come in, according to WFMY, um, uh, the uh, Cooper ended up taking the lead at that point. That in a state, that's the Democrat Cooper, uh, in a state where uh, both Donald Trump and the incumbent Republican U.S. Senator Richard Burr were reported to have won their statewide races in North Carolina. Now, as is the habit of both Republicans and Democrats alike these days, uh, Cooper, the attorney general, used that very slim lead on election night to declare himself the victor, in the gubernatorial race, well before the results were canvassed or before they were certified. The News and Observer in Raleigh had uh, reported over the weekend that uh, Governor Pat McCrory, trailing in a close race for re-election behind Roy Cooper, claims there was malfeasance in tabulating votes in Durham County and, quote, irregularities reported around the state. Cooper's campaign said nothing improper happened in Durham and accused McCrory of trying to undermine the election. The uh, paper reported that about uh, 90,000 votes weren't counted until late on election night. Durham officials said it was due to a malfunctioning equipment. It led to a backlog and that it had no impact on votes cast. That, according to the election board in Durham. McCrory's uh, campaign staff said on Saturday that those ballots came from at least five early voting sites and, uh, and one general election site in Durham and appear to have been tabulated from corrupt memory cards. The cards could not be properly read by the system and the computers, exper and the computers experienced a critical error, according to the campaign. So apparently what happened was uh, in Durham, the county was not able to upload results on election night from these electronic memory cards that are used to uh, to tabulate the ballots throughout the day. They use paper ballots in North uh, in this particular county in any in any event in Durham. They use paper ballots. Uh, and Durham uh, says they were able to print out a tape log of the results and then key them in manually rather than uploading them from the memory card on which the uh, the results are stored after the ballots are scanned throughout the day. And now McCrory, actually the uh, North Carolina uh, Republican Party, has filed a petition to recount those specific votes in Durham. Now, for the record... The Durham, uh, North Carolina Board of Election, like all of the boards of election in North Carolina, are led by majority. It's uh, led by GOP majority. It's a Republican majority as long as uh, the governor is a Republican. That's how state law works there. So if a Democrat wins, if Cooper ends up winning here, then those boards will change. The appointments to them will change. They'll be led by a majority Democrat. 
uh, uh, contingent. But right now it's Republicans uh, who lead the uh, Durham uh, Board of Elections, and it is Republicans who are alleging those Republicans on the Durham board somehow committed some form of malfeasance. Now, the ballots, the hand-marked paper ballots in Durham, are tallied either correctly or incorrectly. We do not know because ballots are not counted by human beings there. They're tallied by a, 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 a machine, a system called the uh, ESNS Model 100, or M100s, as we call them. Uh, and we reported at Bradblog.com uh, as long ago as 2008 about the storied history of failure of the M100s. For example, back in 2008, we explained at the time, this was just days before the presidential election back in 2008, election officials in Oakland County, Michigan, had informed the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, that during uh, pre-election testing, the ESNS system, the M100s there, quote, yielded different results each time the same ballots were run through the same machines. That's right. They were doing tests to make sure the op scanners work, and they would put the same ballots through the same machines, and each time they would get different results. That seems like that should be a problem. Uh, the the, uh, the company reported that it was uh, a problem with uh, maintenance. They blamed uh, that they, they weren't cleaning uh, the machine uh, well enough, that uh, there was dust that was on the reader or something like that. Of course, this happened in a whole bunch of different counties, and it was not long after they had purchased these machines. Also, similar machines... Uh, to this one, um, to the one used back in 2008 in uh, in Michigan and used in Durham County, which failed on election night. Uh, similar machines also had tallied just 16 votes total in uh, in 2014 in a town in Wisconsin that had a, uh, a Citizens United uh, ballot initiative ballot measure on the uh, on the ballot that year to overturn Citizens United. It tallied just 16 votes total out of some 16,000 voters who had cast ballots on that election day. And because it was so out of whack, we talked about it at the time on the show, it was so out of whack. They said, wait, this isn't right. 16 votes. We had 16,000 people vote and only 16 votes in this particular contest. So they went back, they did a hand count, and they found, what do you know, thousands had voted in that race. And the machine got it wrong. And the machine got it very wrong, yes. So that's the machines we're talking about. That's the machine that failed in Durham County, North Carolina, in that, in the uh, certainly in the governor's race, but it failed in all of the races in Durham County. Uh, we know that because the Republicans are now uh, causing a stink about it, demanding a recount in Durham County, which, by the way, leans very heavily towards Democrats, about three to one, as it's reported now, uh, about three to one towards uh, uh, Cooper in the governor's race, three to one uh, towards Hillary Clinton. So they want to have those ballots recounted. And I'm here to say the Republican Party is absolutely right for having though to to demand that those ballots be uh, counted, counted for the first time. Now, I hope that they seek a manual hand count rather than just run them through the machines, the same machines that fail all the time. Um, but this is the right thing to do. For McCrory's voters, as much of a disaster as I believe McCrory has been, 
For the state of North Carolina, his voters deserve to know whether he actually won or lost. And it's impossible to know unless they run those, unless they count those ballots by hand publicly. And in truth, they should do it across the entire state, by the way, not just in one single county, because as you'll recall, back in 2000, the Republicans uh, made an absolute stink because Al Gore wanted to uh, hand count ballots in just a few counties around the state of Florida. And they said, oh, it's outrageous. He's cherry picking. Uh, even though that's what state law required at the time, you had to file for hand counts uh, state by state. There was not a, a, a statewide recount law at that time. And Republicans were furious about it. But here, Republicans are asking to cherry pick for now at least just those uh, just those ballots in Durham County, North Carolina. And frankly, uh, they should be concerned about those votes in Durham County, North Carolina, as concerned as they should be about the votes across the entire state in the governor's race. Uh, I should also add, by the way, that uh, Democrats should be concerned about the way ballots were uh, cast, uh, counted across the entire state of North Carolina. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So um, they they, recu- they remember. So they're accusing uh, the election board or someone of malfeasance of irregularity. They char- They showed absolutely no malfeasance here. There is none that we know of. These memory cards failed. They do all the time. They're crappy uh, systems. They should not be used. And they're using this to claim that uh, Cooper is trying to get away with something. Cooper and the Democrats, uh, they, ha- they have turned a blind eye to the potential and to potential and actual fraud. So it's no surprise that they're doing it again. It's the Republicans who are actually doing something about it. Well, there's no evidence of either potential or actual voter fraud in this case, which is what they say in their statement. Um, and uh, in response, the Cooper campaign is saying that the McCrory campaign is using uh, the Republican counsel to attack the Republican-controlled Board of Elections in a desperate attempt to undermine election results. So now the Democrats don't want these ballots counted either. That's where we are. That's where we are. Toss into that a couple more points here before we get to a break. Uh, Jason Chorchinsky, chief legal counsel for the Pat McCrory Committee Legal Defense Fund, Uh, said what transpired in Durham County is extremely troubling and no citizen can have confidence in the results at this point in time. I would agree with Jason Torchinsky, and that's not easy for me to do. Some of you may remember Torchinsky or that name. He was uh, a longtime frontman for the National Republican Party's phony voting rights group until we helped expose the scam on bradblog.com and here on the Bradcast, uh, the scam that called themselves the American Center for Voting Rights. It was a GOP outfit. They had lied about their nonpartisan status. They appeared out of nowhere after the 2004 election to, uh, to testify falsely before the U.S. Congress and the media that it was John Kerry and Acorn who had committed voter fraud in Ohio in the 2004 presidential election. That's who Jason Torchinsky is, and I take no joy in uh, joining him to say, yeah, he's absolutely right, at least as far as the fact that these ballots ought to be counted. Uh, And so, again, election integrity is not about uh, is not a partisan issue as i have been saying for year after year after year and irritating the hell out of a lot of people democrats republicans 
liberals, progressives, conservatives alike. The voters of North Carolina deserve to know that the person who becomes their governor is actually uh, the person who received the most votes. They deserve to know that, and they cannot know that unless the ballots are counted by hand. Now, there's a couple of uh, other points that I don't have time to get into here, uh, including the fact that a lot of the a lot of the ballot. Uh, a lot of the votes were cast on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens, so we can never know how voters actually wanted to vote in that case. And uh, the other point that I want to mention is that uh, apparently North Carolina state law is such that if one of the candidates contests even after a recount, then it goes to the Republican now, the Republican-controlled state assembly to decide for whatever reason they want, who actually won or lost the election. That's right. Uh, the, the same Republicans uh, who control the state General Assembly, who passed all these terrible laws I talked about at the top, uh, they will be able, if they decide, to steal the race for the Republican governor should they so choose. It is perfectly legal. And given the behavior of this particular state legislature and this particular governor, I don't imagine for a second that they would have any problem doing so. Nonetheless, as I have been shouting for God knows how long now, count the ballots, count them publicly and have actual human beings do it. So uh, that's what's going on for the moment in North Carolina in the governor's race where the Republican governor appears to have lost. But the fact is, no one can know for sure. But his uh, supporters do deserve to know. So do Hillary Clinton's supporters deserve the same? We'll talk about that. And if time allows, which I don't think it will, uh, maybe some of your calls on whether or not you have confidence in the uh, results as currently reported. You can give us a call and try if you want. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. Though I got a lot to say after I've been off the air for a few days, don't I? Uh, so we'll find out uh, what you have to say. Maybe we'll find out what I have to say. Definitely, like everything else these days, we're figuring this out as we go. One day at a time, together. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Uh -huh. You can't count on me like one, two, three, I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can count on you like yes. four, three, counting on two, you to join there. me to get through this mess. mess. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. All right. We are uh, looking at what we know and what we don't know so far about last week's astonishing, shocking 
at least if you don't listen to the broadcast, shocking election results. Um, among them, uh, Michael McDonald on Twitter uh, notes that uh, Maryland re- is reporting negative votes, negative votes for write-in candidates among absentee and provisional voters. What do they got? And Michael McDonald, I had quoted him earlier, discussed him in the uh, he's uh, cited in the 538 article. He uh, covers turnout and things like that. And he he notices that, uh, let's see, negative twenty one thousand two hundred and ninety people uh, uh, voted for uh, other write ins in uh, in in one Maryland county. Negative twenty one. But other than that, don't be worried. These machines work great. You never have to worry. Before I fell ill over the weekend, we had covered uh, how voter suppression seems to have been a great success for Republicans in a whole bunch of states uh, since more than a dozen GOP-controlled states have passed measures to make it harder to vote in 2016. This is the first presidential election without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act since its passage 50 years ago. That, of course, is thanks to the Supreme Court gutting the key provision of the Voting Rights Act back in 2013. For example, as Ari Berman reported at The Nation last week, uh, and we had him on the show and, and, you know, he cited the fact that, uh, you know, while the media does nothing, the corporate media does nothing but cover the horse race, here you have an issue that has direct impact on the horse race, and yet they still don't cover it. So uh, Berman had uh, reported that with the 27,000 votes currently separating Trump and Clinton in Wisconsin, where 300,000 registered voters, according to a federal court, lacked strict form of uh, strict forms of voter ID is now required by state Republicans to vote there at all. Voter turnout had decreased to 13 percent in Milwaukee alone where 70 percent of the state's African-American population lives. So 27,000 votes separate Trump and Clinton, and yet 300,000 registered voters don't have the type of ID needed to vote there anymore. Voter ID laws in Wisconsin disproportionately targeted non-white voters, and according to the executive director of Milwaukee's election commission, resulted in the city's turnout dropping by roughly 41 thousand voters again with the 27,000 vote margin between Clinton and Trump so that's uh, one aspect of voter suppression another our friend Greg Palast has been reporting uh, that this system crosscheck interstate crosscheck this database that was put in place by Kansas Secretary of State, And voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach, who is now a member of the Trump transition team, um, that uh, this uh, resulted in millions of uh, voters being removed improperly, says Greg Palast, uh, from the rolls. For example, he reports uh, in an article from uh, last Friday uh, in in which he charges, Greg charges, that the election was stolen. It's a charge I do not make at this time, but Greg does. He said the uh, he, he notes that the Trump margin of victory in Michigan was just over 13,000 votes at the time. The Michigan cross-check purge list was almost half a million. The Trump victory margin in Arizona was about 85,000 votes. The Arizona cross-check purge list, 270,000. These were people that the Republicans were claiming were registered in two different states illegally. 
uh, and they were going just by first and last name, uh, apparently, maybe first and last name and birth date. But uh, as Pella says, they weren't doing uh, uh, due diligence. Maybe we'll have Greg on and talk about that, uh, what was and what wasn't done, what we have since been able to learn, because uh, the data has not been released publicly. He was able to get his hands on about a million uh, names, but apparently there's five or six million that were on this uh, cross-check list. In North Carolina, speaking of which, uh, Trump reportedly won by about 170,000 votes, but the purge list in North Carolina was... 590,000 votes, voters, I should say. But that's all voter suppression. What makes uh, voter suppression so brilliant is that there is little or nothing that can be done about it after an election. And that's uh, that's the brilliance of the uh, the provision of the Voting Rights Act that was struck down by the Supreme Court that requires new election laws in jurisdictions with history of racial discrimination requires that those uh, new provisions be approved by the federal government before they are allowed to get to go into effect. That was a, a landmark law, a landmark way to go about it. Uh, you know, there's other parts of the Voting Rights Act, but those don't take effect essentially until after voters have been screwed. The part that required preclearance by the federal government, that was the part that was gutted by the Supreme Court. And that's the part that would have been in effect in all of these suppression cases, because the federal government would have had to approve these and the states would have had to proven that they weren't going to racially disenfranchise, disproportionately disenfranchise uh, certain uh, groups of voters. So we talked about uh, that, uh, the, the voter suppression, last week quite a bit. We also spent quite a bit of time in the lead-up uh, to the election and, uh, frankly, for months and years prior, warning about concerns about the voting systems themselves, both the vote-casting and the vote-counting systems, as we do on this show all year round, including this year including uh, a, a new report from Bev Harris of Black Box Voting on the, uh, I think it was the Friday before Election Day, concerning some disturbing functionality that has now been discovered that she and uh, an, an analyst uh, named Benny Smith down in uh, Tennessee have discovered uh, on, uh, on what she says are 99 percent of the, the central tabulation computers used in the country. This functionality, she says, allows for certain votes to be weighted more than others. She calls it fraction magic. In other words, uh, my vote might count for one and a half votes. Your vote will only count for 0.5 votes. And this can be programmed into the machine so that when the results come out, you've got the right number of votes but the tallies are completely off. And there would be no way to know unless you counted the actual ballots by hand, by human beings, where they exist. And then, of course, there was the persistent uh, warnings from the Obama administration that the election could be hacked. Remember that? Just a, a month or two ago, hacked by foreign sources. Russia, they said. And then we were told only a few weeks later by many of the very same sources in the administration that there was nothing to worry about, that a presidential election couldn't possibly be hacked. They started saying that once Donald Trump started telling folks that the election would be rigged. Kind of a schizophrenic message coming from the administration on that. Even today, 
the Mother Jones headline. Uh, NSA chief says Russia hacked the 2016 election. Congress must investigate. It's up to Capitol Hill to protect American democracy. Well, actually, uh, no. It's up to you and I to protect American democracy, and that's why being able to oversee our own ballot counts is so important. And as I've said over and over again, it doesn't matter if it's Russia, if it's China, if it's France, if it's Great Britain, if it's a guy in Akron, Ohio, if it's uh, an insider who works on the election board, if it's an insider who works for the private company that owns these machines uh, that service these voting machines that can be so easily manipulated and that so often fail. Is that a concern? Seems like it should be. What about the exit polls? Oh, yeah, those exit poll disparities. Well, here we go again. Uh, Jonathan Simon, our old friend, uh, author of Code Red, Election Electronic Election Theft and the New American Century, writes uh, via email. He says, uh, my comparison between the exit poll results and the announced vote counts is all too familiar. It shows a red shift in the presidential race and in nearly every Senate race in states where exit polls were conducted. Now, he refers to red shift, and I think we're going to have him on the show tomorrow, so we'll get more details on this, but he refers to a red shift as uh, the shift in the results versus the exit polling uh, results that were reported on Election Day. He says this data calls into question whether or not Trump really won in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Florida and Michigan. These six states have a total of 108 electoral votes, he says. He goes on uh, via his uh, his website, uh, CodeRed2014.com, to uh, quote, call, he, he calls on county election directors, secretaries of state, the United States Congress and President Obama to initiate an investigation into the outcome of the 2016 election. Now, my response personally uh, to the uh, exit poll disparities, the, the differences between what the exit polls uh, showed when they were first published on election night, uh, showing in, in a number of states that Hillary Clinton should have won versus the results that were reported by computers, the election results showing that Donald Trump won. My response is always the same. And it was it was the same uh, when it came to the same uh, similar, very similar disparities between exit polling and election results during the primary. When you had uh, Bernie Sanders fans claiming that Hillary Clinton had stolen the election and these exit polls proved it. By the way, if she was so good at stealing elections, why didn't she steal this one that actually counts? Just saying. Uh, anyway, as I noted at the time, to the chagrin of many Sanders supporters who are still mad at me about it today, uh, exit polls are a, a red flag. They are a yellow flag for potential fraud or potential error in the in the vote count. But without counting the actual ballots, there is no way to know if the exit polls were correct or incorrect or if the results are correct or incorrect. Now, exit polls are used around the world uh, as a uh, as a hedge, as a measure against fraud. The polls that we do here in the U.S., the exit polls are a little bit different than uh, than those used in the U.S. Um, I'm sorry, than those used around the country and <laughs> those used around the world. See, I told you I wasn't well. 
um, you know, where, where they actually are trying to measure against fraud, whereas in this country it is the media trying to decide who voted for what and why. Uh, so they're a little bit different, but you can still take information from them. But even if you believe that it is a sign of fraud, it still only gets you so far. You still need to count the ballots. So, sure, you can look at those exit polls and say, fraud, someone stole the election. But only counting the actual ballots tells us what the intent of the voters actually was. So if you believe in the exit polls, if you believe it offers a measure of fraud, great. Then uh, you got to get together and demand that we have ballots, hand-marked, hand-marked paper ballots that are hand-counted by human beings publicly. Now, uh, verifiedvoting.org, which is uh, no crazy leftist, uh, <laughs> you know, organization, they're now demanding. Uh, they've, they've filed. They posted a petition at change.org, demanding an audit of the 2016 presidential election results. An audit, a partial hand count, essentially in about 75 percent uh, of the country, that where paper ballots are available. But uh, never mind an audit. We need a full count, a full public count where those ballots are available to be counted. You know, in Michigan, for example, uh, Trump, uh, last I was able to check the results, uh, he was leading by about 13,000 votes out of some 5 million cast. Should Michigan voters know for sure who they actually voted for? In Wisconsin, Trump leads by, uh, as I mentioned earlier, about 27,000 votes out of 3 million votes cast. Pennsylvania, Trump leads by 65,000 votes out of more than 6 million cast. The same listener who I uh, uh, quoted earlier who sent email to bradcast at bradblog.com said, here's the main thing I've noticed. He said in certain key areas, uh, there was up to a 40 percent shift in areas voting uh, Obama uh, back in 2012 versus uh, voting Trump now. And those were the areas that mattered, but only in certain key areas, not everywhere. How does that happen where you get a 40 percent shift in some areas, but not in very similar areas elsewhere? Well, that's a great question. So I got to get out. But there are folks looking at this, combing over the data. I've been trying to uh, comb over the data. Yes, the band is getting itself back together again from 2004. Wish they had been around for many years. For these last eight, we haven't gone anywhere. Uh, but in any event, uh, many people are looking at it. They are calling for audits. I'm saying we don't need audits. We need hand counts. We need public records requests for paper tapes uh, and ballot electronic ballot images where they exist, where they're available. But most importantly, we need public hand counts of ballots to know for sure. It remains the only way to know who won an election. And if it's good enough for the Republican governor of North Carolina, as I discussed in the previous segment, I would argue that it ought to be good enough for determining, for knowing for certain who should become the next president of the United States. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. 
That's bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Yes, we may be uh, melting more than ever uh, in this uh, Trump era if things move as forward as expected. I got to get right to this. And Desi Doyen, thank you for for covering for me. I, (laughs) I was too sick to do our latest Green News report. Hopefully it's a reminder that elections matter. And voting counts. Green News Report special coverage. President Obama speaks to the election of Donald Trump to the office of president and what it means for the environment, his legacy, and the world. From Bradblog.com, I'm Desi Doyen. Brad Friedman is out sick today. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and, since Brad is out sick, not a whole lot of snarky comment. Reality has a way of asserting itself. Uh, You said it, Mr. President. This is your Green News Report. Well, the world is still reeling from the surprise election of Donald Trump to the office of President of the United States, with environmental groups and the renewable energy sector bracing for major fights ahead to preserve progress on clean energy jobs, clean air, clean water, and climate action. On Monday, President Obama spoke at length in the White House press briefing room about his landmark environmental policies and his hopes that those policies will continue under the next administration. From new mileage standards for cars and trucks and the booming renewable energy industry to his emissions standards for U.S. power plants known as the Clean Power Plan, a crucial pillar of the U.S. commitment to the historic United Nations Paris Agreement, the international accord to keep global temperatures from rising more than two degrees. Celsius. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the possibility of undoing uh, this international agreement. Now, you've got 200 countries that have signed up for this thing. And the good news is that what we've been able to show over the last five, six, eight years is that it's possible to grow the economy really fast and possible to bring down carbon emissions as well. It's not just a bunch of rules that we've set up. You've got utilities that are putting in solar panels and creating jobs. You've got the big three automakers who have seen record sales and are overachieving on the uh, fuel efficiency standards that we set. Turns out that people like not having to fill up as often and and save money at the pump, even if it's good for the environment. You've got states like California that have been moving forward on uh, a clean energy agenda, separate and apart from any federal regulations that have been put forward. In fact, 40% of the country already lives under uh, in states that are actively pursuing what's embodied in the Paris Agreement and the Clean Power Plant Rule. And even states like Texas that politically tend to oppose me, you've seen huge increases in wind power and solar power. And you've got some of the country's biggest companies like 
Google and Walmart, all pursuing energy efficiency because it's good for their bottom line. So what we've been able to do is to embed a lot of these practices into how our economy works. And it's made our economy more efficient. It's helped the bottom line of folks. And it's cleaned up the environment. What the Paris Agreement now does is say to China and India and other countries that are potentially polluting, come on board. Let's work together so you guys do the same thing. And the biggest threat when it comes to climate change and pollution isn't going to come from us because we only have 300 million people. It's going to come from China with over a billion people and India with over a billion people. And if they are pursuing the same kinds of strategies that we did before we became more uh, aware of the environment, then our kids will be choked off. And, and so, again, uh, do I think that this new administration will make some changes? Absolutely. But these international agreements, the tradition has been that you carry them forward across administrations, uh, particularly if, once you actually examine them, it turns out that they're doing good for us uh, and binding other countries into behavior that will help us. That was an extended excerpt of President Obama's remarks in a White House press briefing on Monday, speaking to his hopes that his environmental policies, which have been successful even in red states like Texas, will continue in the next administration and on the crucial ongoing efforts to fight climate change and transform our energy system, both internationally and at home. For much more on this and other stories we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. You can always download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and the Twitters at Green News Report. Both Brad and I will be back in our next episode with more green news and the fight to keep moving forward. Hey, it's only the planet at stake. From bradblog.com, I'm Desi Doyen, and this has been your Green News Report. Wow, a Brad-free Green News Report. Good job, Desi Doyen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, sorry to all the callers. I couldn't get to them, uh, including the caller who uh, said I was whining. Really? But he didn't want to come on the air? chicken. Uh, you can tweet me. I am the Brad blog. You can also find me on the Facebooks at the Brad blog or drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. We will pick this up tomorrow. I suspect lots to cover, lots to continue whining about. Uh, so thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator, G. Uh, and that's it. I think that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.